Hello! We're really glad that you've joined us. We hope that you're doing well, and we're thankful for your interest in spiritual matters. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. And we're glad that you've joined us as we continue our investigation into the question, what does the practice of the Christian faith look like on a day-to-day basis? What does it mean to serve Jesus on any given day? We recognize a lot of the standard expectations. If you think about the question, well, there's going to church on Sunday, sure. Um, generally, we need to avoid sin and to do righteousness in Galatians 5, 19-24. Uh, it's good to know what God has revealed to us. And so reading, studying the Bible, or hearing the Word of God read and preached in John 8, 32, 2 Timothy 2, 15, and things of that nature. And we recognize the need for prayer, to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17. And generally also maybe add in there to do good to people as we have opportunity from Galatians 6 and verse 10. And that's well and good. All those things are important. It's interesting to think about this question in further detail. What does it mean to serve Jesus on any given day? On this practice of Christianity on a day-to-day basis? There's a lot that goes into that. A lot of it's very contextual and very specific to the person and their job and their family life and their particular circumstances. But, at least in part, we can get a glimpse of a way of considering how we practice the faith on a day-to-day basis that has very ancient roots. And it's the way of the disciplines. Uh, Discipline is a word that that often has a bad connotation. People don't tend to like that word, discipline, but it's a very important idea. Ba- discipline is really just having boundaries to channel one's energies and one's uh, life into a certain way and, and not to deviate from it. Such is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27 where he says that he disciplines his body and makes it a slave. In that context, he's talking about athletes. And the idea that a good athlete will subject everything else in life to the athletic purpose. That what he eats, what he does, what he wears, what he uh, all these things that he's doing are to try to enhance his performance. Likewise, in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, that God has given us, among other things, the spirit of sophronismos, which is discipline or self-control. So in all these, this idea here is that we are to have lives marked by self-control and sober-mindedness in Galatians 5.24 and 1 Peter 4.7. And so that would provide the idea of discipline, that we are engaged in certain practices, certain habits, that attempt to help us maintain regularity and consistency in these important parts of our lives. Now, how we would maintain discipline is left as a liberty. Uh, But there are glimpses in Scripture of the ancient practices known as some spiritual disciplines. The Christians have used them for generations to maintain discipline and spiritual practices. Today let's consider the spiritual discipline of rest. Now, when we talk about rest, a lot of people think about Sabbath. And we recognize, according to Colossians 2, 14-18 and Hebrews 4, 1-11, that the seventh-day observance of the Sabbath is not bound on Christians. That it's not something that is commanded of Christians. But it's important to consider that, especially in 21st century American society, that we enshrine busyness, effort, and work to almost divine levels. 
Uh, and that's why it's good to consider whether there is value in having the spiritual discipline of rest. Why did God give Israel the Sabbath? Is there a place for this kind of dis- discipline of rest in the life of a Christian? And how would it, what would it look like? And to begin, we've got to go back and see what we're talking about when we're getting this idea of rest. Because a lot of times, like we said, when we talk about rest, people start thinking of the Sabbath. And this is a commandment, the fourth commandment, in fact, of the 10 in Exodus 20, beginning in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourn who is within your gates. For in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Likewise, uh, restated in Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, as Yahweh your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourn who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and Yahweh your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore Yahweh your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So in both of these exhortations for Israel to keep the Sabbath, the logic of resting on the seventh day is rooted in the fact that in Genesis chapter 2, Uh, It is recorded that when God had made everything in the first six days, on the seventh day he rested, and that he blessed and made the seventh day holy because he rested on it. We also see that it's part of the logic uh, that it goes to everybody because God provided them deliverance from the land of Egypt, and so deliverance is to be given for one day for all Israelites, all who live among them. And so we have the idea of creation and deliverance here, the natural order of things and deliverance. And so what does it mean to observe the Sabbath? When we look in the law and other passages, we see that no work is to be done, and no work includes not kindling a fire, not gathering sticks, not buying and selling, not carrying burdens, let alone the day-to-day functions of work, of working in the fields or in the shop or whatever one's regular job was and things of that nature. And we can see that from passages like Exodus 35.3, Numbers 15.32-36, Deuteronomy 5.14, Nehemiah 13.15-17, also in Jeremiah 17.22-24. In Exodus 31.14, if you worked on the Sabbath, if you profaned the Sabbath, the uh, sentence was death. But there were exceptions. Uh, there are the priests who make offerings at the temple. There's also the guards who keep watch at the temple. We see that in Numbers 28, 9, 10, 2 Kings 11, 5, and 7. When Jesus would confront the Pharisees and others about the Sabbath, he would mention other exceptions that were recognized. Things like watering animals or saving an animal in an emergency in Luke 13, 15, 16, and 14, 5. And in John 7, 22, 23, the fact that if circumcision is to be done the eighth day, if a child is born on the eighth day of the Sabbath, he is still to be circumcised. So there were some things that were done even on Sabbath days. So the Sabbath is a day of time of rest, but it's not necessarily inactivity. 
In Acts 1, 12, 13, 15, and 27, 15, 21, 16, 13, we see evidence that, uh, especially in the Second Temple period, uh, Israelites would gather together to read and hear the Bible read aloud, to hear a word of encouragement or to, and or to pray. And there was the idea of a Sabbath day journey, which was three quarters of a mile or less. That is why to this day, observant Jews try to all live within a mile of their synagogue so they can go and walk there on the Sabbath and, and not violate their understanding of that commandment. And beyond the seventh day Sabbath, Israel was also to give this land a Sabbath rest every seventh year. And after seven sevens, there would be two years, the, the seventh the, the 49th and the 50th year, which in the 50th year would be the Jubilee, according to Leviticus. And part of the whole condemnation of the land, uh, of the Israelites by Jeremiah, is that they did not allow the land to have its Sabbaths. And so God was going to allow the land to have the 70 years of Sabbath it deserved, but it would have it all together in the exile. So this is what the Sabbath rest is, is about. But it, it lost it, a lot of its meaning, and its point had been lost on many in Israel by the first century. The Pharisees, among others we can see in Matthew 12, 2 and John 5, 16, were obsessed with proper observance of the Sabbath. They quickly condemned anyone who did anything they would define as work on the Sabbath, and it became one of their uh, identity issues. It's one of those uh, hot-button issues where uh, they would brook no disputation with their understanding of things. It's a litmus test, if you in John 9, verse 16, they knew that Jesus is a sinner because he worked on the Sabbath, because they did some, he did something that they considered work. It, categorically now, Jesus was a sinner. It does not matter. They, they would not have allowed anybody to question whether he had truly worked or not, or what the purpose of the Sabbath was. And Jesus, in many ways, receives his greatest condemnation and by the fingers of the Pharisees and others because of what he does on the Sabbath. Many of his healing actions were done on the Sabbath. Jesus, though, declared that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. That the the Sabbath wasn't considered a lord over them. That the Sabbath was for them. That he was the lord of the Sabbath. That deliverance from bondage was not contrary to the purpose of the Sabbath. And in so doing, he demonstrates how legalistic the observance of Sabbath had become in Israel. In Mark 2 and 3, Luke 13, where you have the interesting situation where he heals a man, and the leader of the synagogue comes up and says, well, there's six days you can do this, but on the seventh day you can't do this. And Jesus points out there about deliverance, that this woman has finally given, been given rest after all these years. And, of course, in Exodus, I mean, especially in Deuteronomy 5, the idea of deliverance is an important theme in the Sabbath something that had been lost in the attempt to zealously make sure people were not working or violating the Sabbath uh, as they had in generations past. It's interesting to note, then, in that kind of climate, where not only was Sabbath observing prevalent in Israel, but a litmus test, one of the main identity markers of Judaism. They were circumcised, they did not eat pork, and they rested on the seventh day. But the seventh day observance was not a part of early Christianity. We do see in Acts 17, 2 and 3, this is an example, that Paul, by custom, would go into the synagogues on the Sabbath and reason with the Jews there in the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. But that doesn't indicate that he's observing it as a Christian. He's going to preach to Jews. Uh, early Christians instead, according to Acts 20, verse 7, came together the first day of the week. And Justin Martyr in the 2nd century, in his first apology, section 67, would, would verify that that was the consistent practice 
But this wasn't, as some imagine, a moving of Sabbath. It's not as if early Christians said, well, now Sunday Sabbath. Although some in error would later do so. The first first day of the week is never identified as a Sabbath in any way. But, as Paul argues in Colossians chapter 2, that Christians are not to be judged for not observing the Sabbath day. Uh, that the, the law contained in ordinances uh, was a nail to the cross. And especially importantly, the logic here. Let, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So he talks about what they are, that this is the shadow and the substance of which belongs to Jesus. Now the longest argument made about the Sabbath in the New Testament is found in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. And we'll try to make some sense there to try to understand what what the Hebrew author is trying to say and how it might relate to our discussion of, of a spiritual discipline of rest. Hebrews 3, beginning in verse 5, is written, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house, as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works these forty years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation, and said, They always go astray in my heart, in their heart, and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were able, unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished in the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So, he's, he's concerned about the people he's writing to, the Hebrew Christians, that they would fall away like their ancestors did so long ago. And so he's 
looking at the Sabbath, but he's looking at it through the perspective of Psalm 95, 7 through 11, especially verse 11. Now, that was a generation condemned in the wilderness, and, and there there was that condemnation that they shall not enter my rest. And, and the Hebrew author notes, well, wait a second, back in, in Genesis, we see that God rested his works, and that's the logic underneath the Sabbath in, in Exodus 20. But yet, to this generation, he says, they shall not enter my rest. And what the Hebrew author identifies there is, well, this generation in the wilderness observed Sabbath, Sabbath-day observance, but yet they did not enter God's rest. And from that he says, well, there must therefore be this rest that awaits the people of God. And they must give diligence to enter that rest. And what the Hebrew author notices there is that on the eighth day that God does not pick up the work in creating. Whereas on the eighth day or the first day of the week, Jews would get up and go back to work. And so the Hebrew author is showing all that seventh day observance is a shadow of the reality in Christ. Because you have to get up to work again. But, the one who has fully entered the rest ceases from his works as God did from his. That the true Sabbath is is not the seventh day of Zeros, but it's found in and through Christ. Because today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. That you can now enter into that opportunity for rest and you will obtain that rest Event ultimately, and and yet you need to give diligence to enter that rest. There's no diligence that you need to do for the seventh day to come. Whatever happens, as long as you're alive, you get the seventh day. But the Hebrew author says to enter this rest, we must give diligence. So there is a rest for the people of God beyond the seventh day Sabbath, and that's the rest that Christians may enter into. That that eighth day there is really found in Christ. Remember, we talked about that eighth day. On the eighth day, the Jewish person had to get up to work. But on the eighth day, after God made all things, God did not get up to create again. Likewise, Matthew 28, etc., Jesus' resurrection is on the first day of the week. And very interestingly, many early Christians would talk about that, not in the New Testament, but immediately after, as the eighth day. The idea that this is the new creation. And in Christ, we are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 4, but in the new, in, we, we now have in the new creation this new Sabbath, this new rest that we can enter into. And this rest is what we enter into when our labors here are over. In Revelation 6, 11, 14, 13, the Hebrew, the, uh, John, John speaks of those who have entered into God's rest, those who are in heaven. And so we can see how all these things are coming together. The, the seventh-day Sabbath is the shadow of of the substance that belongs to Christ. It's Christ is the one through whom we can have finally rest on the last day in heaven because we won't have to work like we did before. And therefore we've entered God, our, God, we have entered the same rest that God did on that seventh day when he made all things. Meanwhile, Jesus talks about rest for, the, for some for people in Matthew chapter 11. Very famous thing. In fact, it's called Jesus' invitation. Uh, that he says, Come to me, verse 28, All who are labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So Jesus calls all who are here heavy and heavy, weary and heavy laden to come and find rest in him. Well, the rest he's talking about there is not rest from labor. He was laboring, there's exhortation to work in the kingdom of God. 
Instead, it's that reconciliation with God that he offers, the inner peace that can be held by the Christian despite adversity, that no matter what you suffer in the world, you are not separate from the love of God in Christ, in Romans 8, 31-39, that even though we were your enemies, Christ died for us, in Romans 5, 6-11, that we can have the peace that surpasses understanding from Christ, in Philippians 4, 7. And really we see this in Matthew 6 as well, the idea if we are truly putting God in his kingdom, and his righteousness first, we'll have the things we need in life, we won't be consumed with cares about them. So, we find our rest fully manifest in Christ, but we have this conundrum. We've seen, okay, the, the, the real rest is in heaven once we've passed on for the day of resurrection uh, in Hebrews 4, but yet we're told to enter into rest in Matthew 11. And yes, there's a way in which there's a difference between the spiritual and the physical, but also we've got that now-not-yet thing that we also see with salvation, like in First Peter, where we're told that... Um, we have the inheritance laid up for us in heaven, imperishable, unfading, waiting for us. Uh, that we're waiting for that salvation to become fully manifest. That we are saved right now, but we are yet not. We, we have not yet received that fully in its full manifestation, as we will on the day of resurrection. So it is here with the rest. We have rest with God. We are at peace with God. We don't have to have that kind of mental, emotional. Spiritual strivings and contentions and 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 labor and effort in many ways. Uh, but we have reconciliation with God, restoration with God, which allows us to have peace and rest in God while we labor in His kingdom, awaiting the full manifestation of rest on the apocalyptic eighth day, eschatological eighth day, that day where. Uh, Jesus raised from the dead at the first day of the week, uh, that we will obtain the, the day of resurrection and the rest that comes along with that. We find in God and Christ, through the rest we have in them now, the strength to continue our labors in Him so that we can, with diligence, enter that rest that He has promised us. Okay, so... We've gone through all that in Scripture to try to see that Israel was given the Sabbath rest, that Christians have the ultimate Sabbath awaiting them in heaven while we enjoy spiritual rest in Christ now. But that comes back to the idea of the spiritual discipline of rest. And where does, where, where does that leave us? What, what do we mean, though, when we talk about rest? Unfortunately, in our culture, a lot of times rest is associated with complete inactivity or perhaps even laziness. That rest is when you're not doing something. And therefore it is lost time, foolish time, wasted time. But is that really the most effective definition of rest? Well, it depends on the situation. But rest can have all kinds of connotations. Rest may involve very important mental, emotional, or spiritual work, even if not much is done physically. For instance, if somebody has lost a loved one, they need to take time to grieve. That may not look like they're doing a whole lot, but their mind and their soul and their emotions are working through very difficult things. If they don't do that, they're going to be burdened and find it very difficult to accomplish things in the future. Rest may involve staying away from certain specific activities for a period of time. 
uh, for instance, a rest from technology. Some people say they're taking a Sabbath from social media or from the Internet or something. Other people talk about it in terms of fasting of it. Either way, the same idea is that you are excluding that, that you are not participating in that for a certain amount of time. Normally, to expose perhaps how addicted we are to it or how much time we invest in without even thinking about it and kind of to get some mental clarity. The only time we can get that mental clarity is when we step away from that kind of activity for a certain amount of time. Rest may actually involve a lot of physical exertion, but it may actually be a break from other activities or efforts. For some people, when they want to rest, they go hike up a mountain or they go and backpack. Um, that's a lot of physical exertion. That's certainly not rest, but it is rest for them because they're not at work. They're not dealing with situations in their family or among friends. They're just out by themselves or with a group of people, and they are able to get away from the normal pressures of, of their existence. And so, as we can see, rest has all these different things, and we might immediately start thinking of rest as a, in terms of a very bad connotation. We can hopefully see that there's a lot of things where showing us clearly that not only do we need rest, that we're already taking it. And so in a lot of ways that we're talking about is not necessarily completely creating something new in our lives, but really taking something we're already doing and recognizing its need and its importance and putting it in a more appropriate context in a spiritual way. So what about... But we first need to make it clear. Do we, should we be doing this? It, should there even be things like this in our lives? Should we be resting after all? We're to labor uh, continually till the Lord returns. But the evidence is in that humans do need to rest. Um, if, for whatever reason, a person does not get sleep over a long period of time, they will die. There was once a radio DJ who made, he was going to try to keep awake for a, you know, a whole week. I don't even think he made it that long and uh, think he, that he went mad or maybe ultimately died of that. There is a genetic uh, disorder called fatal familial insomnia where a person in middle age will all of a sudden, you know, over time not be able to sleep long short. And they sleep shorter and shorter periods to the point where they know their body no longer allows them to sleep. And they will die. The, the body, if it does not get rest, will die. A lack of sleep is associated with depression, irritability, and anxiety. That's something we know in our lives. That's one of the things that we see. If we don't get enough sleep at night, we get up the next morning. Uh, maybe one or two days we can get away with that and still function well, but over time you keep doing that and it wears on your body. And you know you just can't get as much done because you haven't gotten the rest that your body needs. And time and time again, research and experience proves that people function better and more creatively when they take out the time deliberately uh, to get away from their normal work patterns and devote themselves to family, nature, to creative endeavors, and things like that. Um, you get stuck in the day-to-day -day thought processes. A lot of times in that, that stage, you, you're not thinking of bigger questions, a bigger picture. Uh, especially for preachers. It's very important for preachers to get some time away somewhere else and kind of step back, look at the work uh, on, on the whole, perhaps a little more critically. Also, it's a great time to kind of let that... Uh, well of creativity kind of get refreshed uh, that you can that goes dry very easily if you don't get out of the usual grind at any time now honestly this should be expected based upon Genesis chapter 2 and we need to be very careful of this but this very important premise there Romans 1 18 through 20 that God's power and divine nature are evident in creation 
that when he made the creation, he made everything in six days, but rested on the seventh day. And, and yes, we need to be careful because some people will use this as the reason to justify continual Sabbath observance because uh, this is before the Law of Moses. Uh, the logic, though, is only being brought out in terms of the Law of Moses, in terms of the seventh day being made holy. Um, but the idea is there that in the creation, everything needs rest because when God made everything, he then rested, that that would be a paradigm as well for those in his creation. So, since God made the world unrested, should we be surprised that his creatures have been made with a need for rest as well? So, we do need rest. After all, why did God expect Israel to observe the Sabbath? Not the distortion that the Sabbath became, but God made the Sabbath for man. So that they could benefit. Sure, there would be the idea that they might stop to think about God and what he had done for them. But the idea was, for their benefit, that they needed rest. And it wasn't just for those who could afford it. That this rest was to come to everybody. From the king to the lowliest servant. Even the farm animals. Because all stand equal before God. And no matter how much money you may have, or how many resources you can call upon or draw upon, everybody has the same amount of time in a given day. And so time is the one equalizer, uh, and therefore, uh, for all to share in that rest is a very important statement of equality that we would see later in Galatians 3.20, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's another equalizer. But that in Christ all are, all stand equal. There's neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Um, this is a great leveler as well. The rest that God expected from Israel was a reorientation away from the normal distractions of life so that the Israelites could consider who they were, where they came from, where they were going, and a time to work through whatever challenges, questions, other things going on in their lives. So in Deuteronomy 5, again, to go back to the idea that the Sabbath was a moment of release and deliverance from bondage. That there is more to life than mundane work. So, again, make it very clear, Christians are not bound to a weekly Sabbath. They're not to rest in the prescribed manners of the law of Moses. We instead find all rest in Christ. But, are these principles untrue somehow, even in the New Covenant? Is a Christian walk to be marked by constant busyness without any moment to consider who we are, from whence we have come, and where we're going? Absolutely not. Many times Paul will do this in, in Ephesians 2 and Titus 3. He has to stop and say, no, wait a minute, we've we got to reorient your thinking here. Remember, who were you? You used to be in sin, uh, but God saved you. Not because of your own works that you did in righteousness, but... To, through Jesus, and uh, this needs to be something insisted upon, that we kind of need this lesson over and over again, that we do need to stop and, again, consider who we are in the grand scheme of things. Are Christians supposed to drown their sorrows or try to escape the gnawing questions and difficulties of their existence through constant work or effort? For that matter, are Christians supposed to think that they can somehow make good on their salvation through nonstop effort? Absolutely not. And this is a thing that many times gets forgotten about. We, a lot of people will point fingers at those that they see as lazy or inactive. But on the other hand, there are a lot of people who are workaholics partially because that's how they cope with life. That they feel like if long as they're being productive, that people will like them. And that they tie up their entire understanding of themselves in terms of their productivity because they've been abused and do not have any see any value in themselves uh, or 
they're they've got some other kind of trauma or just in general uh this tower battle mentality they've got to keep working and working and that's how they'll find satisfaction in life uh many times people run away from their problems through work that if you're always busy if you're always working those gnawing questions about things that you did in the past or things you know problems uh in your life or dealing with the fact somebody you love has died or dealing with the pain and suffering of another uh, you have to think about that that the only time that those questions and thoughts come back is when there's nothing to do or you have to stop work and all of a sudden all of those questions come and you're just running back to work to, to deal with those is that healthy no is that what god intended no. Is sometimes this, the rest something we need so we can consider these things and to work through them to get to a more productive place than to treat work like other people treat sex or drugs or other things as coping mechanisms to get away from the gnawing questions? Again, Matthew 6, 25-34, that we're not to be anxious about anything. And in Ephesians 2, 6-10, through 10, we are saved by grace through faith, not by our works. And a lot of people feel that way in Christianity, that they sin, they do some bad things, that they immediately start trying to do a lot of righteous things, thinking that somehow they can uh, atone for all the bad things they've done through doing good things. And while we've been commanded to do good things, we need to recognize that if we're going to be forgiven, it's not because we've done things. It's because we've put our trust in God and Christ, and He has mercifully proven willing to forgive us of our sins in Christ when we repent of them. Are Christians delivered from the bondage of sin only to be put under the never-ending bondage of work? By no means. We are servants of righteousness, uh, slaves of righteousness, but that doesn't mean that we consider it as a drudgery or that we are uh, not to have any rest in that. We have the ultimate rest waiting for us in heaven. But there are times where we need to recognize that our constant working itself can become as a God and something that can become very dangerous in our lives. Now, we're not to be distracted or consumed by anything, but to maintain self-control and sober-mindedness in all things in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 1 Peter 4 7. And that means that sometimes we need to stop some of the things that we're doing so that we can assess its influence in our lives. We may not think that our use of Facebook or social media or uh, football or another sport or um, other things, we name your particular uh, obsession, that that is taking over lives until we have to quit it and then look at how much time uh, that we were devoting to it that we now have for other things and to realize that well we were kind of becoming controlled by that that we need to change the way that we handle such things and that's only possible when we take a rest from it and so that's why it is important to take a break from our normal patterns of behavior to see where we might be getting distracted or consumed and departing from the good way of God in Christ so how can rest serve as a spiritual discipline for the Christian? We need to keep in mind something, that rest is not something that's given. It cannot just happen. It has to be taken. There will never stop being demands on your time and energy. You have to make a conscious decision to set time aside for rest. Matthew 14.23 and Luke 5.16, Jesus had to get away at times to pray, and this was not sabbath time this was other times he just would leave the crowds they had to go to some desolate place just so people wouldn't go find him so he could pray likewise we endure constant distraction and constant demands on our time uh family spouses maybe parents or or and especially employers 
uh, especially now that we have uh, smartphones, it's as if we never leave the office. And so if we want to get away, we need to make that deliberate decision to get away, to turn off the phone, to go somewhere else, to find a place to have that moment. How exactly that happens is going to depend on our context and circumstances. If we work, we do well to take some vacation time. And, and by the way, vacation time not is just replacing one kind of work with another kind of work, but to stop from work and take stock of our lives. If we use technology a lot, we would do well to take time off of technology or specific aspects of technology to take stock of how we're using technology. And, and even beyond all that, we, we, we're not bound to a particular type of rest. And therefore, there's a place also in every single day to take the moments to preferably smell the roses, to appreciate God's creation, quality relationships, other things that make life worth living. So the preacher keeps pointing people back to they they devote themselves to this idol of meaning in their work and other things, and and the, and the preachers are trying to show people for what it is, and it says, look, enjoy, take pleasure in your work, take satisfaction that you've done a good job or the thing that you're doing, enjoy the life of your youth. Um, Enjoy the little things, is the general tune of that. Because I'm, for a lot of people, very disillusioned with life. But it's because they've, they've learned, they've, they take the little things for granted and assume that greater things can be ex prove, uh, expected. But that's not the way it is. We, we, every single day we have beauties of sunrises and sunsets. We have the beauty of the natural creation around us. The beauty of maybe seeing a... Uh, the the, uh, the the sprouting of a pretty flower, or seeing a, a beautiful animal, or seeing interesting behavior of animals, uh, beauty in relationships, to have a laugh with friends, to be able to enjoy companionship. All of these things are the little gifts that make life worth living. And they are all things that if we are constantly consumed by busyness, and all we're ever thinking about as we walk along the sidewalk or driving our car is how am I going to do this or that or get here or get there. If all we're ever worried about in relationships are the big things or what we think are big things or all these issues, we miss the little things. But it's the little things that make life worth living. We also live in a world full of noise. And sometimes we get comfortable with noise that we might find the quiet very disturbing or disorienting. But keep in mind that Elijah had to go on Mount Horeb, and it's only when he heard the thin silence that the voice of God was coming to him in 1 Kings 19. Maybe we're trying to escape some really difficult questions or difficult issues through throwing ourselves into work or other labors. Maybe those even religious activities. But we're not going to find true wellness and wholeness until we confront those realities. And that might need that we take some time to stop various physical activities, maybe most physical activities, so that we can wrestle with those challenges in meditation or prayer or in other ways. Like we can see in Psalm 73, Rehsaf, uh, taken, consumed by envy of the wicked who prosper, um, recognize the end of their way by going to the house of uh, the temple, going to the house of God, seeing, being the presence of God and being around his people and seeing the end of things. And that changed perspective 
really was able to change the way he saw things. And sometimes that's what we need. That we need to take those moments where we have the silence, where we have the quiet, where we have time away to grapple with a lot of those difficult issues in life to consider what God has said in Scripture and to find solutions as opposed to coping mechanisms. There's so many times we get caught up in our daily lives, our anxieties and our concerns, that we just don't stop to think. You know what? No matter all the things going on, God loves us. God has given us great things. God does not want us to be anxious about anything. That He has a greater purpose for us. And sometimes the best way to get back to the rest, spiritual rest that God gives us is to take a break and to return to that. Matthew 6, 25-34, the passage is. Hey, sometimes rest will involve a lot, not a lot of physical activity. It may involve redirecting physical activity to something else that we're not used to doing. But we should not confuse distraction with rest. Entertainment attempts to distract. It doesn't really provide true rest. Busy work does, attempts to distract. It does not provide true rest. We can see it with Mary and Martha. Martha was constantly working and serving, wanting Mary to help. And Mary was at the feet of Jesus. She was getting uh, instruction and in, in, in the important things, the true rest. And it was not going to be taken from her. True rest is going to allow a lot of things to come to the surface. And a lot of them will maybe be unpleasant. It's very easy to try to turn away from that and to choose distraction so we don't have to deal with those difficulties. But we need to grapple with the reality that must take place. And we need to take, at some point, we need to grapple with that reality, uh, even if it's uncomfortable and difficult. So, as we have opportunity, we do well to give consideration to time and space to rest. So, we've looked at discipline of spiritual rest. God gave the Sabbath to Israel. But true rest is found in Christ and awaits the Christian in heaven. But there is a time and place for rest in the life of the Christian, lest he or she become consumed or distracted by the cares, fears, concerns, anxieties, or just the banality and mundane aspects of daily life. Rest may involve a period of physical inactivity, but it does not need to lead to indolence or laziness. But we do well to take time to think reflect, meditate, pray, give consideration to the grand scheme of things, our place in it, the bigger picture, and come to grips with the challenges from which we try to find escape in the busyness of life. So let us find our full rest in Christ, even though that may not always be the easiest thing to do. Again, we hope that you've been encouraged by this. Maybe you have more questions about rest. Maybe I can talk about other spiritual disciplines or other aspects of Christian faith and practice. Or maybe we just need to talk about the Bible, or just need to talk, or maybe a prayer request, or need to work through some things. Anything I can do to be a service, please let me know. Please contact me through my website, deverbovitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. Uh, learn more about the Venice Church of Christ. Uh, we can find out more about us online at venicechurchofchrist.org. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Meetup, Twitter, Google Plus, at Venice or Church, or Venice Church of Christ. We again thank you. Have a great day.